Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. How are you guys doing today? You lost an hour of sleep. You're never going to get it back. Are you doing okay? I, I was on the East Coast all week last week, and so I came back on Thursday night, three-hour time difference. We lost an hour today, and I've got a four-year-old who never lets me sleep, so... Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Uh, and I, I'm glad that you guys are here too. God is going to speak. We invited, Devin just prayed a little while ago that we would have soft hearts. And I believe that God is going to answer that prayer. He's going to honor that prayer. And so as Devin said, my name is James. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the group's pastors here on staff here at Real Life. And uh, my job is to help people understand what discipleship is, what a disciple is, how to know where you're at, and, and how to know what your next step is. And so uh, if you don't know me, a little bit about my story is I grew up pretty much literally in the church. Uh, I was born on a Saturday evening, and I was in the church on Sunday morning. And I really haven't left since. Um, different, different buildings, of course, different locations, but always been around the church. And so I grew up uh, hearing words and even referring to myself as, as things like a Christian or maybe a, a believer or as an adult, maybe even a follower of Jesus. But it's been the last probably two to three years where God has really taken me on a journey of really looking to his word and saying, what does God say about people who are committed to following him? And here's, here's what I found. Um, Christian is in the Bible. It's there. It's only there about three times. And so it's in there. Uh, and then there's another word, uh, believer, that's used to refer to people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And, and that word is in there 15 times, so a little bit more. But then there's one word that is in the Bible as a whole 235 times when talking about followers of Jesus. And that word is disciple. And so as I'm thinking about it, um, you know, I'm not great at math, but it seems like I should pay a lot of attention to what that is all about. Because we've been in a series about uh, how Jesus' church has endured. How are we able to be here together in a room this morning? And one of the reasons that it's endured is because disciples of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But first of all, I want to start off with just some examples of what a disciple is not. So I've been two for two, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping the third time we got some success here. So any basketball fans in the room? You got, I can't see anything, so you got to let me know you're here. Any basketball fans in the room? Okay, like five. Awesome. So for the rest of you, just um, do you know what a basketball is? Okay, let's go with that. Okay, so today, this Sunday, is what's known for college basketball fans as Selection Sunday. What that means is that every year, college teams compete the entire year to try to get to be part of this tournament that's upcoming that's known as March Madness or the Big Dance. Uh, if you have, you know, you work in an office, you may know March Madness just because it's an opportunity to, to gamble with your coworkers or something like that. But this is happening today. I, and if you're not aware, well, we have a school down the road, Gonzaga University. They just happen to be number one in the country right now. So, all right. All right. So basketball, no. Gonzaga, yes. Take note. We are good here. So what will happen is that teams uh, like Gonzaga and other teams, they're waiting for Selection Sunday to find out where they're going to play, who they're going to play against, where they're going to play. And what will happen is that people from all over the country will fly thousands of miles to be with their team. These are fans. They've never taken a shot in their life. They don't take two-a-day practices or they don't get yelled at by coaches, but they're going to go and, and cheer on their team. They're fans. They're not disciples. 
So before, I grew up watching Gonzaga kind of rise to the top, and now they're expected to make the tournament every single year. But before that, there was a guy that I grew up watching. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name was Michael Jordan. Uh, you may remember watching him. You may wear shoes that are named after him now. Or as I was reminded last time, he was also in the original Space Jam movie. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> we, found, we found a connection. We know who Michael Jordan is. So Michael Jordan kind of changed the way that basketball is played. Yes, he did have talent, but he played with such an inspiration that he really just brought new life and kind of changed the game. But one of the things I remember, sadly, more than watching him play was there was a sports drink um, company who thought, hey, this guy's really good at basketball. We can probably make some money off of him. And so Gatorade had a commercial that I grew up watching, had this big song, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, but it's, if I could be like Mike, or I want to be like Mike. And the idea was that if I drink the stuff that Michael Jordan is drinking, if I put an armband on my left arm, and if, if I stick my tongue out when I'm doing a layup because I can't dunk yet, then, then I'll be able to do what Michael Jordan's doing. And obviously we laugh at that because that's not true because, see, there's a whole other side of Michael Jordan that they didn't know about. See, they wanted the fame, they wanted the shoe endorsements, they wanted the sports drink endorsement and the NBA championships. They didn't want, though, wake up super early in the morning, put your body through physical pain and grueling hours of training, shooting the basketball until your arm feels like it's going to fall off. That actually made Michael Jordan who he is. See, when we talk about being like someone, there always comes a time to where the ask is just a little bit higher than we're comfortable with. We like the idea, we like the benefits of, of what we get, but are we willing to put in the work? That's really what separates fans from disciples, people who are willing to go all in. But as we're in this series of how Jesus' churches endured, we're here today because people before us have walked the road and they've been faithful. When the ask is hard, they have been faithful. See, Jesus said things like he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Let me say that again. Whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to deny yourself. Not looking out for yourself, not trying to provide for yourself. You've got to deny yourself. That's what it means. Take up your cross. The cross was a Roman uh, instrument of execution. Basically, what it's saying there is if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to go all in, all the way to the end. You've got to be willing to give even your own life. And so that can sound intimidating, but I want to go back to the first word in that verse where it says whoever, because that really kind of turns things upside down. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. This was not normal for rabbis who were looking for disciples. See, the normal way was you had to work really hard and qualify for Selection Sunday. You had to qualify and be chosen by somebody who said, you're good enough to be in my program. Jesus turned everything upside down when he says, anybody can be in. There are requirements, yes, but whoever desires to be my disciple, here's what you need to do. And so there have been faithful men and women throughout the years that have done this, and that is why we're able to be here today. If you've been with us since the beginning of this series, uh, every week we're trying to just give you a little bit of history to help you understand and put some names and faces to people who have actually done this. And so I want to give you another name today, and that's a guy by the name of Antony. See, Antony was uh, around about 30 to 40 years before another guy whose name was Constantine. He was a ruler, 
and about 30 to 40 years after the time of Antony, Constantine actually legalized Christianity. See, before that happened, um, you kind of had underground churches, underground, underground disciples and believers of Jesus. And so Constantine comes along and, and legalizes Christianity and says anyone can be a Christian. And so while Antony was on the scene 30 to 40 years before, the decision wasn't finalized, but the process was already well in motion. And see, what happens when that starts to happen is that the cost to follow somebody or the cost to be like somebody goes down. And uh, what happened is that being a Christian started looking more like being a Roman citizen. There wasn't really a cost as it got closer and closer to actually being legalized. In the same way, we gather here together on a Sunday morning, there's not a high cost. We're not worried about someone coming in and shutting us down, or we're not worried that somebody is going to, to try and take us out because we are disciples of Jesus. But what can happen is that now we can start to equate being a Christian with more like being an American citizen instead of looking like Jesus. So what was happening there is not all that different from what's happening now. And so Antony comes on the scene. He's one of the early desert fathers, is what he's known as. And Antony grew up in a pretty wealthy family. His parents were well off. And his plan was, when my parents die, I'm just going to live off their inheritance and just have an awesome life. That's what his plan was. But then he walks into church one day, and the passage that's being read is what's known as the rich young ruler. You can write it down, Matthew chapter 19, if you want to go back and read the whole thing. But the rich young ruler, the gist of it is this. A wealthy man comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to make my life complete? And Jesus responds and says, you need to keep the commandments. And then he lists four or five of them. You know, do not, do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. And the man looks at Jesus and says, all of these things I have kept since I was a young child. And Jesus looks at him, I'm guessing probably full well knowing that that's not totally true, but we'll go with your answer. And he says, there's still one thing that you're lacking. He says, go, sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and come and follow me. It's verses like that, that if we're honest, we just be like, that's not in there. Um, that must mean something else. And so Antony tried to shake this, tried to excuse it away, tried to discard it, but he couldn't escape the fact that God had spoken to him. Have you ever experienced God speaking to you? You ever had something happen in your life that you're just like, I wish I wouldn't have heard that because now I got to do something about it. <laughs> Devin talked about having a soft heart. I would say probably about two months ago, um, God really started to soften my heart. And so now... Uh, my wife is always asking me if I'm okay, because when God speaks to me now, I just start crying. That's just what I do now. I guess that's just a thing. And so it's those things when you try to you argue with God. You hear something, you're going to be like, oh, God, that won't work because of this and this and this and this. And then all of a sudden, you, you just realize, like, it doesn't matter. He's spoken. He's going to do something. And so Anthony is in this church service, and he hears this verse, verse 21 from Matthew chapter 19, and he can't escape the fact God has spoken to me. And so I must respond. And so he takes Jesus' words very literally. He goes and sells all of his possessions, all of that inheritance that he was going to live off of, he sells 
all of it and gives it all to the poor. And then he prepares to go to the desert where he's going to be by himself with a goal of learning how to deny himself, learning how to know God, how to pray, how to hear from God, how to be a disciple of Jesus. And here's the thing. Antony went out to the desert to be alone. But the thing is, when someone is truly a disciple, people hear about it and they want to find out. And so people started hearing, like, Antony's not the same anymore. Like, when he prays, there's power. When he speaks to us, God speaks to us through him. Like, he's doing things that he hasn't done before. And so people started going out of their way, going out to the desert to these places. Antony would find places like tombs and like empty places where no one would go because he wants to be by himself and he wants to seek God's face. But people would just go wherever they had to, to find him, to learn how to do what he's doing, how to be like him. That's what a disciple is. Antony went out to be a disciple of Jesus, and people went out because they wanted to be disciples of Antony because of what was happening. See, in a very, very just simple sense, a disciple is somebody who learns from somebody else with the goal of becoming like them. As one church in the UK said it, it's people who are committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That's the goal. And so that's what we're talking about uh, today. Um, what is a disciple? How do you know if you're a disciple? If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Matthew today, uh, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, if you've got a phone, you can Google it or just ask someone next to you. We're only going to be in one verse, really, today as we look at what a disciple is. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, um, kind of answers the question, how do you know if you're a disciple or not? It's something that, as I found out about it, I use it as a personal litmus test for me, like, Am I just hanging around? Am I just coming to church and going through the motions? Or am I actually a disciple of Jesus? And so Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says this. He says, And he said to them, he being Jesus, talking to his future group of, of disciples, he said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is where we're going to get our definition of what a disciple is and how you know if you're a disciple or not. So there's three parts to that verse. The first one, he says, come and follow me. What it tells us is that a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. It's a head-level decision of saying, Jesus is now in charge. I'm not. Jesus is the authority. As Richie talked about last week, we are submitting ourselves to somebody else's plan for our own life. And here's the thing about following. See, I grew up in the church, and we always talk about, you know, it's just you and Jesus side by side walking down the road. Like, that's not following. Jesus is not there to go at the same pace as you. He's ahead and he's saying, like, if you want to be my disciple, follow me. And as funny as it sounds, um, being a disciple is not saying, like, come on, Jesus, come, like, bless my plans that I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing all these amazing things. Following Jesus, again, is a head-level decision where you are putting yourself under the authority of Jesus and says, Jesus, what you say, I'll say. Where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. I'm all in. And so a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. Secondly, it says, come follow me and I will make you. The idea here is that we are going to be changed if we are disciples of Jesus. He's not going to leave us the same. It's a heart level change. It's a character change. It's a, he comes in and as you follow him and look to him to be your leader and your king in your life, that he says, I'm going to give you new desires. I'm going to give you new passions. I'm going to change the things that you want and don't want to be in line with my heart. 
So he comes in and changes your heart. This is something that I got hung up on for so long growing up in the church. See, I knew all about, like, you got to read your Bible, you got to do this, you got to memorize verses, do all these things. But it was all, it never got past my head. I was not being changed. I'm still struggling with the same stuff. I'm not overcoming things. Uh, I still have the same desires. And, and here's, here's the difference is that it's a, I know I should do this. One thing about a disciple, though, is they, they deal with the truth. One of the things that I, I learned this past week is that we need to stop focusing on what the right answer is or the right answer is and deal with truth because that's when God can start to change your heart. As long as you and I are saying, well, I know I should do this or I know if I was really serious, I should do this. God isn't going to touch your heart, but it's when I say, God, I don't want to do that. He'll come in and say, I'm going to change the desires of your heart. I'm going to give you a hunger, as, as Devin talked about earlier, to want to know me. And so a disciple is somebody who's following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus. The last part of Matthew 4, 19 says, I will make you fishers of men. To understand what he's saying here, the group of guys that he's talking to are literal fishermen. They're getting out of a boat when Jesus comes to talk to him. And he says, if you follow me, if you submit yourself to my, my teaching, my leadership, and my plan for your life, I'm going to change everything about you. And you're no longer going to be fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men because you're going to be, the idea here is committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus tells us in scripture that he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And when he invites us to be on mission with him, he says, you're no longer going to be doing what you think you need to do. I'm going to invite you to be part of what I'm doing. And so a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone who's being changed by Jesus, and somebody who is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at a couple things here. If you're taking notes, if you got your note sheet, there's two things that we're going to be looking at. One is when it comes to discipleship and knowing where you're at, that's the first step. You have to know where you're at. And the second thing is you have to know and take your next step. Disciples grow at the speed of obedience. As God speaks, we move, and, and that's how we grow. But before we get into this, there's one thing that I want to say, because uh, what we're going to cover this morning is not a judgment on anybody. My goal, my heart in all this is that God would speak clearly so that you would know where you're at. Because if you don't know where you're starting from, you don't know what you needed to grow. And so as we go through these different steps of discipleship, the goal is that, that God would speak to you. You would understand this is where you're at. And so that secondly, you would know and be able to take your next step. And so that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be headed. Sound, sound good? We're okay? All right. So there's many, many steps in the discipleship process. We're going to cover five. The first one is being spiritually dead. The point is here, this is the stage that all of us come into the world in. The Bible says that there is no one who naturally in their own power and their own tuition seeks after God. There isn't even one. And so we all come into this world spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people are characterized by unbelief. And that sounds pretty simple, but unbelief can look a few different ways. Okay? Sometimes it can look like hostility. You've talked to people before, and as soon as you mention the name Jesus, like the hair on the back of their necks just stands up, and they're about ready to leave the room. You may be here today, and, uh, and someone invited you, and, and you're mad that you're here, and you're mad at them for inviting you here. Sometimes it can look like hostility, but not always. Sometimes it can look just ignorance. You, you don't know. 
No one's ever taken the time to tell you who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And so you're just wandering around in this state of unbelief because you don't know. Sometimes it can look like skepticism. Maybe you have heard some things about Jesus, but you're just saying, that's too far-fetched. I can't believe that. That's not possible. That goes against everything that I know. Or maybe it's characterizing your life by curiosity. Maybe you're here this morning because you've heard just enough to keep you coming back. You're interested to hear more. You're not ready to go all in. You're not ready to call yourself a disciple of Jesus yet, but you're sticking around because there's something here and I'm not sure what it is. Unbelief can look so many different ways, but the point is is that unbelief really signifies you haven't given your life to Jesus. You have not submitted your life to his plan for your life. So you see the little slice in there in our, in our, our uh, diagram up there. And that's when something supernatural happens. Up there it says born again. You may have referred to as saved or becoming a, a disciple or becoming a follower of Jesus. This is something supernatural that happens when God draws a person to himself, puts his spirit in that person, and starts to grow them as a disciple. This is something that we don't do on our own. God speaks and we respond. He draws us to himself. Once that happens, you then go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. So you're not dead anymore, but you're an infant. That's, that's what we, we call it. Now, I don't know if you have any infants, but I have one. Um, he just turned four months. And, and quite honestly, this is going to sound super heartless, but like, he does not really add that much to our family. Like, he is like ridiculously cute and like, you know, they start talking and like, he's got the cuteness factor. He does that. But as far as like cuteness does not help me mow the lawn. Like cuteness does not help me like clean up the mess that the four-year-old made or anything like that. And so the idea is that infants are completely dependent upon other people. So he's alive. He's brought into this world, but he's completely dependent on everyone else to, to stay alive and to stay healthy. Spiritual infants are the same way. They're completely dependent on other people. They're, they're ignorant. They don't know what they don't know. And sometimes they're confused. See, one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is sometimes somebody gives their life to Jesus and then we say, here's a Bible, go read it and start praying and start doing the things that you're supposed to do. And they look at you saying, I don't really have any idea what that means. And in the same way that if I took my four-month-old, put him in front of the fridge and said, here's the food, the bathroom's down the hallway, and there's your bedroom, let me know if you need anything, he's going to die. And the same thing happens with spiritual infants. If someone has just given their life to Jesus and we just leave them on their own, they're, they're going to die. They're going to be malnourished. Spiritual infants have to. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I've given my life to Jesus, but I just feel like I'm searching right now. I, I pick up the Bible and I read it and I don't know what it's saying. I don't know how to pray. I see other people praying. I don't know. I'm, I'm just here. But as infants grow, they become children or a spiritual child. You know, if you have children, I've got four of them. There is, there's one thing that very clearly characterizes a child, and that is the world revolves around them. Uh, I have my four-year-old who, when asked the other day, my wife asked her and said, who is your favorite person? Thinking acceptable answers might be mom, dad, 
grandma, grandpa. She looks straight at my wife and says, me. I am my favorite person. <laughs> I've got my almost 10-year-old who uh, got very, very upset at me because I didn't take the steps necessary to literally stop the world for his birthday. He was very offended and could not believe that I actually wanted him to go to school on his birthday. Spiritual children are the same way. They're very, very self-centered. They know how to feed themselves, but if you leave it to them, it's going to look exactly like they want it to. So you may be a spiritual child if you came in this morning and you had a mental checklist. It started as soon as you came through the door. Either our greeters were not friendly enough or they were too friendly. And then you came in this room and things were either too loud or not loud enough. And then they started singing the song and... That's the wrong song. You can't sing that song here. A spiritual child is self-centered in the fact that if anything happens that they are not pleased with, they're ready to leave because the world revolves around them. And at this point, I want to say something that, that please hear me. None of these stages are, are bad because they're all natural. See, it would be really, really terrible and unhealthy if my four-month-old woke up tomorrow when he was an adult. Like that would be really, really not good. He's got to go through all of the growing pains, the awkward stages and things like that. And so it's not a bad thing if you say, wow, that actually sounds like me. The important thing is that we don't stay there. It's important for disciples of Jesus to grow. And so as a spiritual child grows, they become a spiritual young adult. I don't have any teenagers yet, but I remember when I was in that phase of life and it's really kind of cool and exciting because I realized I can actually add something to this world. I can go out and get a job. I can learn a skill to serve other people, to be other people focused. And that's the big shift that comes. Spiritual children are self-centered. Spiritual young adults are God-centered and other-centered. See, they realize when they come in here that it's not so much about the service and everything going how they want to go. What they're concerned about is that we create an environment here that they can invite their neighbor or their coworker here because they're going to have a chance to hear about Jesus. They've gone away from thinking that their preferences are the most important and they're God-centered and other-centered. And then the last stage of discipleship is a spiritual parent. There's a very clear reason why we don't go from a spiritually young adult to an adult and go straight to a parent. Because there's a very clear distinction. See, I was an adult for a few years before I started having kids. But the thing that happened is as soon as my first son was born, in that moment, I became personally responsible for another human being. And so in the same way, a spiritual parent has taken responsibility for the spiritual growth and development of somebody else. They're characterized by intentionality. Every relationship they have is not just to have a good time. Like having a good time is great, but they're getting to know people so they can understand where they're at with Jesus so that they can help them figure out and take those next steps in growth. And the thing about spiritual parent, you may be sitting here and saying, I can't do that. You can always take somebody as far as you've gone. So maybe you're saying, I'm an infant. I don't know what I'm doing. There are people around you who are spiritually dead just simply because no one has ever told them about Jesus. 
you can do that. Maybe you're a spiritual child and, and you identify with what I'm saying when you come in and you've got your checklist going. You can help somebody get to where you're at. A spiritual parent has just taken responsibility for the spiritual development and growth of somebody else. And so the first part is knowing where you're at. You gotta know where you're at in order to know how to grow. And so the second part is to know and take your next step. Just wanna give you some ideas of what this looks like. If you're spiritually dead, if you came in here this morning, you're saying, I like being around here, but like I'm, I still don't believe that Jesus is everything worth giving my life for. Your next step is to take a chance to put your trust in Jesus, to repent or turn away from the self-led way that you're living your life, living life by your own plan, confessing your sin, and then as we saw in the video a little bit ago, getting in that tank and being baptized and saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. That's the first step for you to start growing as a disciple of Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity for you to respond but you can also take that card next to you and just simply write down, I'm spiritually dead. I want, I want to know how to trust Jesus. And we'd love to help you do that. Again, this is, this is my job. This is what I, I live to do. This is what I love to do is to talk with people, find out where they're at and help them grow. Or maybe you are a spiritual infant. You've, you've put your trust in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But if you're honest with yourself, when you come to the Bible, you're just kind of like, I don't really understand what this is talking about or why this is even relatable or I don't understand that God actually wants to know me personally. Your next step is to find somebody to help you grow. Remember, if you're an infant, you cannot grow yourself. You cannot feed yourself. And the good news is we've got a church full of people who would love to help you take that step. And so if that's you, just take that card and put, I'm a spiritual infant. I need help finding somebody who can help me grow. And we would love to help you take that step. Or maybe you say, you know what? I really identify with, with the spiritual child. Everything is really about me. And every Sunday, I'm just one comment away from leaving because I don't like um, what's happening. Your next step is to get involved in a connect group like Devin was talking about. Because in a connect group, you have the opportunity to learn how to love God and to love people. See, if we're just gonna deal with facts, it's really easy for you and I to get into an argument about what you believe and what I believe and why you're wrong and why I'm right and list all of my reasons as to where in the Bible it says that you're wrong. But once I sit around a table with you and I find out your name, who your kids are, what you do for a living, What's your story? Not necessarily what do you believe, but why do you, why do you believe that? How has, how has your life unfolded? Once that happens, you're no longer an argument for me. You're somebody that I know that I have relationship with and that's how we grow is by being around other people, learning how to love God, learning how to love other people. And so if that's you, take that card. I'm a spiritual child would love to talk to you and help you find a group where you can start to grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe you're, you're a young adult. You're in a group, you're not sure what to do next. Your next step is to start serving. 
You got to become other-centered and God-centered by giving of your time, recognizing that your time doesn't belong to you, giving of your talents, your gifts and abilities that God has given you are not for you to be awesome. They are to be a blessing to other people, to edify the people around you. And so we've got lots of teams here at Real Life. We've got things around the city, like One Heart, things that you can be a part of to learn how to give your life away. That's what Jesus did. And so just put on that card. I'm, I'm a spiritual young adult. Can you help me find a place to, to start serving, to start learning what it means to give? Or maybe you, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a parent. Or maybe I'm not quite a parent, but I, that's my next step. Um, again, this is my, my job is to teach you how to lead other people. To, to teach you how to find and discover where somebody is at and to show you that God can work in and through you. It's not just through the people who are up front or the people who are up on stage, but God has put his spirit in you and he can use you to lead people to him. And so if that's you, maybe you're already doing that or maybe you think that's just that's your next step. Just put that on there. I'm ready to become a spiritual parent. We've got all sorts of people who want to train you, help you understand what it means to be intentional about your relationships. Because I can guarantee you this real life, there's a world of people that God is drawing to himself and they're hungry. They need somebody to show them the truth. They need somebody to point them to Jesus and show them how to grow. And so whatever God is doing in your life right now, I just encourage you to have a soft heart and to be listening no matter where you're at, we're all in the same spot in the sense that we're all in process. Again, it's not so important as to where you're at, but just not to stay there. And the more that we grow as disciples of Jesus, the more that we look like him. John chapter 13, verse 35, this is what Jesus said. This is what he said when it came to how will the world know that we're disciples of Jesus? It says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. See, the world will not know us by how many Bible verses we can recite, how many Bible studies we can lead, how many good things we can do, how much money we can give away. The world is not going to recognize that we belong to Jesus by that. The world is going to recognize that we belong to Jesus by our love for one another. When the family starts breaking apart, when the pandemic hits, when there's wars and rumors of wars and everything seems like it's falling apart, Jesus says, the world is gonna know that you belong to me because when everybody is trashing each other and putting each other down and arguing with each other, you guys are deeply committed to being in a loving relationship with each other. You're not leaving. The apostle Paul was one of the early church leaders and he wrote several letters to uh, the early churches to help them to know what it looks like to be a part of Jesus' church. And one letter he wrote was to the letter at Corinth, the Corinthians. He understood that the world would know us by our love for one another. And so he took some time to write out, this is what that looks like. And so as you're thinking about how God is speaking to you and how he's moving in you, I just wanted to read uh, chapter 13, verses four through seven. And just as I'm reading that, I want you to think about the relationships that I'm in, the people that are around me, this group of people that we're sitting together with, what would things be like if our relationships looked like this? 
Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. See, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I'd put it this way. Love always has your back. What would you feel empowered to do? What would you feel God strengthen you if you knew that what, what you did, that someone had your back? That there was kindness waiting for you. There was patience waiting for you. There was not a dishonoring. We're all going to make mistakes, but when it happens, there wasn't a dishonoring. There was always encouragement because we recognize that we're all in the same spot. What would your relationships be like? That's the type of church that endures. That's the type of people that endure. When the world is falling apart, when we look around and we see all the chaos and confusion, people will look to that and say, those people are different. And so I told you you're going to have a time to respond. And so I want to invite you as we close your life just to stand to your feet. We invited God at the beginning of this service. We said, God, we want you here. And I want to tell you, if you want God in your heart, he'll be there. If you want God in your marriage, he'll be there. In your parenting, in your family, in your neighborhood, if you want God, he will show up. Here's the thing, I, I've been on the opposite side of this as well, where somebody else was talking. And if I'm honest with myself, I would say, you know what, I think, I think maybe God was speaking to me. And if you were to push me for an answer, I'd say maybe five to 10% chance that God was speaking to me. Here's what I wanna call you to this morning in your life. Take a chance. We ask that God would speak. So if you think he's speaking, I'm gonna say there's a good chance that he has. But we grow at the pace of obedience. If God has spoken, he's not gonna stop you out the door. He's waiting for you and I to be faithful and to be obedient. But if you take a chance on that five to 10% that you think God might've spoken to me this morning, it could change the entire direction of your life. You could go today from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, to starting a relationship with Jesus. You could go from being somebody who is completely focused on yourself to going to somebody who is on mission with Jesus. And so as we're standing here, I want to pray for you. I just want to ask you, if, if that's you, if you're saying, maybe God spoke to me this morning, I just want to invite you to open up your hands in front of you and just say, God, if you've spoken to me, I'm, I want whatever it is that you're, you're saying. I want to be willing to do and say whatever it is that you're asking me to do. So if that's you, I just want to ask you to open up your hands to receive what God has for you this morning, and I want to pray for you.
God, I thank you so much that you speak. You speak in deep, intimate, personal ways. God, that I know that there's things that, that have been said this morning, God, that have touched very, very specific spots in people's life. And it's not because I know anything about them. It's because that's the way that your spirit works. You're in the business of redemption. Where there's been hurt and pain, you want to bring healing. You want to take every situation that's happened and redeem it for your good. God, so I pray that for these people who have said, yeah, God, I think you're speaking. God, would you honor their request? Would you speak to them, God? What do you want them to do? We know that you're faithful to show up. God. And I know personally that we can take all of our excuses to you, all the reasons why things won't work out. And you just ask us, yeah, but are you willing? All those battles, those aren't yours to face. But are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to go all in? So God, I pray that this room would be filled with your spirit. I pray that this room would be filled with your courage. God, that people would be willing to take a chance knowing that the plan that you have for their life might be on the other end of that decision. So God, we thank you that you're faithful. Give us the courage to be obedient. We thank you and we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, real life, I believe that God has spoken to you and so we're going to have an opportunity And we're going to have our staff, leaders, some of our team up here who they've been praying for you. They're excited to hear what God has spoken to you because our heart is to understand what he said and to help you figure out what that means, help you take those next steps, not just for you to figure it out. And so I love you a ton. I'm so glad that you're here. I know and believe that God has spoken to you. If he's giving you those next steps and you've put it on a card, just drop that card in the black box in the back on your way out. If you want to start giving to the mission of Jesus, drop that envelope in there as well. But if God has spoken to you this morning, you just want to share that with somebody else because you're not sure what it means, I want to invite you to come forward and, uh, and pray with somebody or talk with someone from our team. Love you a ton of your life. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much and we'll see you next time.